Osiris. We've had a problem recently, and I'm not talking about ripcorded jams. The coffee somehow keeps leaking out of our cup. And for two dads, this is a huge problem. Fortunately, we can now refill it with delicious fresh brews from Passion House Coffee Roasters, our new coffee sponsor. Passion House is founded by a longtime fan in Chicago. They've been sourcing and roasting some of the best beans in the world since 2011. Now, they're asking for your help naming one of their newest coffees, an experimental micro-lot from a renowned farm in Colombia. With coffees named Millie Grace, LSD, and Box of Rain, the bar is high for a new name. We know you can help. So go to passionhousecoffee.com backslash Osiris. That's passionhousecoffee.com backslash Osiris to read about the mystery coffee and submit your idea for the coffee name. While you're there, pick up some freshly roasted beans so you can have a cup of coffee and catch your breath, just like our buddy Fee. They ship everywhere, and listeners get 30% off their coffee. Those who know me know I take my coffee very seriously, usually a four or five cup a day guy. So I actually had the box of rain blend this morning, ground the beans, took a sip and said, oh yeah, and that's the same type of oh yeah when Trey steers the jam into a major key and ghost so absolutely it's really great stuff please remember enter Osiris that's O-S-I-R-I-S at checkout and thanks Passion House tuned into episode 66 of the beyond the pond podcast this is the podcast in which brian and myself generally utilize the music of fish as a jumping off point to get the listener to listen to other bands these are usually non-jam bands because we love fish we are fish fans but the underlying problem with fish fans is that sometimes they get a bit myopic They love their favorite band in absolute every facet possible from following them on tour to memorizing set lists. Wonderful memories, and we get that. But there's a lot of other bands out there that can make them similarly happy. Absolutely. And we're here to change that. We're here to help you all to grow as listeners, to learn about new music, and to ultimately, at some point in the near not too distant future, go beyond the pond yourself. Yes. You will not always need us to go beyond the pond. We are but guides. The goal is the friends we made along the way. The journey is the goal. And tonight, today, this afternoon, this evening, this run, whatever 
wherever you are listening to this episode, uh, we are talking about a phenomenal version of a phenomenal fish song. The Ghost from July 23rd, 1997 in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm sure when you all opened this up, you thought when you saw Atlanta Ghost, oh, cool. They're talking about the uh, Atlanta show from last year. Nope, 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 nope. We're talking about summer 1997 fish. Boy, talking about 97 fish gets me hot and bothered. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> the themes which we're going to explore in this show include rage funk. My favorite band's new song kicks ass. And a brief overview of Fish's forgotten southern leg of summer 1997. And on that note, let's get to the fish. I feel I never told you the story of the ghost that I once knew and talked to of whom I never guys so like we said at the top here we were talking about the ghost from atlanta georgia july 23rd 1997 and why are we talking about this jam well just three shows into their summer 1997 tour fish played their second stateside version of ghost a song that more than perhaps any other defines an era specifically the 1997 funk reinvention. And while they'd used the first performance in Virginia Beach to really set the tone for the song, with many of their fans just hearing it for the very first time, that version did little to match the July 1st and July 3rd masterpieces from Amsterdam and Nuremberg. This 26-minute mindfuck in Atlanta showcased to the entire fan base what Ghost was truly capable of, and until 1999 was easily one of the three to four best versions of the song. So careful listeners will note that this podcast has a little E next to it. I mean that sometimes there's some explicit language. So I'm going to take advantage of that explicit language right now. Talk about this ghost. Holy fucking shit, dude. <laughs> the whole jam is good. But a little after 18 minutes, I think about 18 minutes and 24 seconds, this, it just goes into hyperdrive, this ferocious funk rock riff that sounds like everything you hope to experience at a fish show on psychedelics. I just have an image in my mind of helplessly flailing looks with their 1997 style of hemp jewelry and corduroys and patches <laughs> just absolutely losing their mind. I mean, you know how sometimes, um, like jaded vets, they like to say, I have a good time in Fish 3.0. They do some cool things. It's cute. But nothing holds a candle to 1.0 ever. I don't necessarily agree with that statement. And yet, when you listen to this ghost, you start to think, yeah, maybe they've got a point. <laughs> I mean, it's just amazing that Fish was once able to play like this it's got speed and tightness, flamethrower power that borders on inhuman. You think, how did they do that? 
Yeah, it's uh, the kind of jam that you will be vibrating with love and light, actual love and light, and pulsating with love and light. There's so much energy that it just makes you smile this shit-eating grin as the jam is going on. It is one of the just highest energy funk jams I feel like we've ever heard from the band. Yeah. So from a contextual standpoint, in the summer of funk, which was summer 97, this alongside of the July 21st gin, the July 25th gin, the July 29th gumbo, July 30th Bowie City's Bowie, August 2nd Down Disease and a Tweezer, August 13th Ghost into Isabella, the 14th Merry Pranksters Jam and the Great Wentz Haley's into Cities into Llama are the funkiest jams that the band was capable of. And to be totally honest, this ghost might be the funkiest and dirtiest of them all. And it's amazing that it happened three shows into the tour. And a list of the best ghosts is kind of like a list of the best tweezers. There's just too many. And this is one of those fish songs that defines a place in time. Also evolving with the band as uh, they've shifted and grown over the past 20 years. So thus, just wanted to give you a quick list of the best funk-laden versions of Ghost. The uh, psychedelic, uplifting, major key jammers will, that kind of populate 3.0 will have to come in a later episode when we cover a different type of Ghost. Want to kick it off, Brian? So we've got, already mentioned here, July 1st, 1997 from Amsterdam show opener. July 3rd, 1997 from Nuremberg, a 30-minute monster. Uh, August 8, or excuse me, August 9th, 1997 from Alpine, a phenomenal version that ultimately segues into taste and perhaps the greatest ghost ever played, uh, November 17th, 1997 from Denver, Colorado. My favorite ghost ever played was also the first one that I was able to see live being November 28th, 1997, which really gets the uh, start, stop, waka, waka, waka. Yummy's going on. We've got December 11, 1997 from Rochester. Certainly rage funky. July 21st, 1998, Desert Sky Pavilion in Phoenix. Um, what else? November 19, 1998, Winston-Salem. We got Worcester 226, 2003, a really funky version that segues into um, uh, Lowrider. Uh, July 12th, 2014 from Randall's that uh, has some D major bliss. I think we both were at that show, but then uh, it segues into this really funky and dirty segment at the end that becomes more and more disorienting um, and I think fades into wingsuit. I I really enjoyed that set. It's very underrated uh, all these years later. Um, And then wrapping up the list with August 3rd, 2018 from Alpharetta, that first set version that you probably all thought that we were covering when you hit play on this episode. I might also throw May 22nd, 2000 from Radio City Music Hall in there too. That's about a half hour. Well, not quite the Raging Funk Fest. Gets extremely good in its latter half and kind of driven by lots of atmospheric licks from Paige. It's almost like Trey kind of does like a funky rhythm guitar and Paige is doing this elegant, elegant piano. And then eventually Trey just takes it through the roof. That's a version that 
we have to kind of put a pin in and we have to cover that at some point in time yeah um i I will just say for now i i expect all of our listeners who are esteemed and intelligent and well-versed in the world of fish as well as other bands uh to know this jam but if you haven't uh mark it down like yankee hotel foxtrot and listen to it right now um, and if you have, hey, go ahead and listen to it again. It's a really, it's one of the most creative and uh, just thoughtful and, and just phenomenal jams the band's ever played. But keeping ourselves here in summer 1997. So the significance of this show, what did this show mean to the overall tour? Um, what was featured at this show? What, what was the highlight here? Um, so this show opens up with a 13 minute version of Julius that honestly it sounds a lot cooler than it actually is cute too long by half maybe the best type one julius i don't know if that's something that you really need but it's not um you know like say the type two december 5th 1997 julius which really gets out there this is kind of a little bit like hurry up and wait yeah, I saw a really good Type 1 Julius on July 19th, 2003, closeout set one. And this is kind of in that vein where it just keeps building and building and building. And you don't realize, like, you're just like, holy shit, are they ever going to stop playing this song? And clearly they played it longer than most Julius. But um, I think it's pretty well known how I feel about Julius. The uh, December 5th, 97 version is uh, absolutely phenomenal Type 2 version, though, that everybody should hear. Type 2 is... Um, <laughs> the uh, majority of set one it's kind of the epitome of standard save for a really pretty early version of limb by limb and a split open and melt that really flirts with the unknown for a bit um, set two is a totally different beast the set flows with precision even sample fits here and it's really a testament to where the band was in summer 1997 at their best and of note at this point in time, three shows into the tour, the band had already played 35 shows in 1997 to that point. Some years in 3.0, they only played 35 shows. But this is a band that while they used to play way more shows in recent years, clearly didn't need to use the first few shows of the summer tour in the US to get warmed up. Even though it's just the sixth set of this tour, it's no surprise they were ready to lock in at this point because they had been touring in February as well as uh, June and July of 1997. Yeah, the second set, punch you in the eye, always a good opener, and the intro is certainly a bit longer than you were expected to see with this song because the band had discovered uh, some funky groove warm holes they could dive into. Uh, in revisiting it, it also seems like this introduction, there was a bit of um, interesting like delay loops almost like mission to Burmany uh type stuff yes the ghost which we're going to talk about which you talked about absolute monster and then that's actually followed by a really upbeat cool version of sample in a jar it sounds really perfect yeah yeah i think it's a great great spot for it and uh it kind of works in ways that you wouldn't expect but uh, i liked it a lot um you Enjoy Myself moves into a really demented jam. Uh, this was still in an era, 94, 95, 96, 97, where if you got a You Enjoy Myself kind of like third slot, fourth slot of the second set, you knew that you were going to get a really creative jam, and this is no different. Um, it moves into a really tr- demented jam before segueing into uh, Rocky Mountain Way, 
without any sense of irony. Um, the band here was just that hot. It's just a band that's clearly on and anything they touch is fire. I wouldn't say there was no sense of irony. I think they kind of, for a while, it sounded like they were going to play Mound, and then someone decided to do the Rocky Mountain Away key. And anytime you play that song, it's kind of a bit of a classic rock joke to begin with. It is. They're just so badass in this version. I love it so much. And then Chocta's Torture, very fast, compact seven-minute version. And then Frankenstein Encore, right? Frankenstein Encore. Can't really argue with that. Okay. Um, so Lakewood Amphitheater, where this was, where this show happened, uh, is host to eleven fish shows. Uh, we've got this uh, June fifteenth, ninety five, that has a really amazing stash into I didn't know, probably the most beautiful and absurd I didn't know I've ever heard. Um, and yes, it is a beautiful version. I, I did not stumble. <laughs> David Bowie's a monster in set two. Uh, it's July 4th, 99. You've got Ghost into Slave. That's gorgeous. Uh, June 24th, 2000. Absolutely monster tweezer in set one. July 31st, 2015. The Kill Devil Falls is incredible. And then the August 1st, 2015 tweezer that opens that second set is uh, just, these are the best moments I feel like have happened at this uh, at this venue aside from this Ghost. Now, what's particularly crazy about this show to my mind is that it came right on the heels of the uh, July 22nd Thunder Taste show from Raleigh, North Carolina. Like that show is the one where towards the end of the first set, they kind of endangered their fan base by playing in a driving thunderstorm. You could hear the lightning on the audience tapes and they play like taste just goes higher and higher. In the Frank of that second set also has that incredible down with disease into Mike's groove. So they do all that. And then they throw out this show? I mean, maybe... <laughs> fucking 1997, man. It it was just such a time for, for the band that uh, they were on such a high. They'd rediscover... They discovered this brand new sound that they were going to employ over the next, basically, four years of their career. And, uh, man, oh, man, they were just on such a creative high... I, uh, I really wish I could have seen something from this tour. It's, I'm eternally jealous by it. Um, so speaking of the tour, one of the things that we wanted to talk about in this episode was this uh, summer 1997 Southern Leg. Uh, for all that's celebrated about Fish 97, and really you just say the year 97 around a fish fan and their eyes kind of perk up, uh, the Southern Leg gets very little love. And we're here to hopefully change that. Part of this, I think, is because of the greatness of 1997. And part of it is because of the off-market shows. They play in some really interesting uh, new venues. Um, so in terms of these, kind of kicking things off here, following the Atlanta run, the Atlanta show, uh, they went to Dallas on July 25th, 1997. Um, of note, we almost talked about this show in this very episode. Mm. And we audible before we uh, went to plan everything to uh, move to the Atlanta show. But this has a really slick Wolfman's and Maze and a gin in a Makasupa and ACDC bag was the segment that we were going to discuss. Um, but we opted for the ghost. I'm pretty sure that this is our friend uh, Chris Glushko's uh, favorite bathtub gin. I think that's true. Certainly, I think it's true. I think, I think he's tweeted that at me uh, a few times in, in a very aggressive way. 
Um, <laughs> set <laughs> set two of the show has uh, Bob Gulati on the second drum set, who would be with the band for both the second set of this show as well as the following night. Um, this has the first ever jammed out chalk dust. A taste into Yamar, into drums, into Ghost, into Zero that you absolutely have to hear. I mean, it's just a super unique and fitting second set for 1997. So the next night of that run, they played Austin, Texas, July 26, 1997. Bob Gulati on tour a bit with the band, returns for the entire show on the second drum kit. I think the first time he did that was uh, October 23rd, 1996 in Hartford. I know he also appeared on uh, Trey's Free Jazz, Surrender to the Air Project. They clearly liked the guy. So, yeah, that show, really good limb-by-limb opener, massive 15-minute stash in set one. And also in that first set, there's a big You Enjoy Myself, which instead of going to a vocal jam, segues right into Isabella to close out the set. So if you heard You Enjoy Myself into Isabella, in 2019, the closeout set one, you'd probably say this is the best show 3.0. And yet, almost standard summer, summer 97, that's how good it was. Totally, totally. Uh, the timber, though, that opens up set two is such a monster. I don't understand. It's really weird. I mean, it doesn't move too far beyond timber. And honestly, like the song is really a jam itself. You don't almost need to just kind of employ some spacey loops and fuck around with some rhythmic guitar and a little bit of soloing here and there. But man, I love the groove and I just am eternally wondering why they've never made timber a regular jam monster because it just fits so well in 1997. That's followed by a 20 minute plus Bowie, which is probably more accurately described as an 11 minute Bowie with an eight minute introduction. (laughs) Very long introduction. Lots of Roger Miller, Mission of Burma, like Weatherbox style. Yes. <laughs> they loved that. There's like the Deer Creek show uh, that has amazing cities, has a, I think, like 12 minute uh, intro to uh, uh, to Bowie that then yes. concludes with just like a very standard version. But like the intro, you're just like in La La Land listening to it. Harry Hood, Blister in the Sun, actually uh, sung, not just done instrumentally, back in the Harry Hood. Worth hearing once. It is. I mean, I think that the the highlights of the show are we've mentioned. I don't think you ever need to sit down and listen to it in full. Um, but the highlights definitely reinforce where the band was in summer 97. Um, moving to Phoenix. Uh, I love this show. I think it really sounds like fish psychedelia in the desert and fits the overall mood of the tour so perfectly. It's the kind of show I don't think could have been played anywhere other than Phoenix in the middle of the summer. Uh, Gumbo in the first set is an all-timer 97 funk jam. Trey notes this in the Fish book uh, that this and the Denver Ghost from early fall tour were the two big jams that really showed the band what they were capable of with this new sound. Obviously following the uh, Hamburg Wolfman's that happened back in March that really changed the fortunes of Fish in 97. And there's a slick and extremely emotive Ghost, which goes into Swept Away, into Steep, and the band screams and goes into Loving Cup. It's just a fantastically well-played 
first set sequence that nevertheless was viewed as standard fare in summer 1997. Yeah, we were texting about this segment uh, when we were preparing for this episode, and I think you had texted something to me where I was like, oh my god, I have to listen to this right now. And it kind of goes to the theme of what we're talking about with this Southern run that it's almost just forgotten about, you know, all these uh, uh, highlights for whatever reason, even though it's on summer 1997 and people talk about this tour with such awe all the time. Um, set two of the show is complete mess set list, set list wise, but as two standout psychedelic trip jams in Antelope, which is 20 minutes, really gets out there before returning to uh, the conclusion. Hear this version at all costs uh, and twist in its stateside debut, which dips into kind of a, like a late night trip of a jam that could have emerged from Fukuoka if one weren't, weren't looking at the tapes. It's just a gorgeous version. I seem to recall that the audience tapes of this show aren't very good because it was played in a very serious wind, being that it was Phoenix, Arizona in the summertime and Mike Standrick and blown this way and that. And I mean, the one that they have on Relisten is good enough, yes. but it's still no great shakes. No, it's not the best recorded show of the tour, but that kind of adds to, um, like, I love audi- audience recordings when you can kind of really feel the show that's happening. And uh, you definitely get that vibe with this. From here, the band would go to Ventura, Shoreline, The Gorge, Alpine, Deer Creek, Burgettstown, Darien. Just an amazing run of shows. If you know anything about these dates and there's shows in there that I haven't even mentioned. Um, Unbelievable tour for Fish. Uh, I think that, you know, the argument goes that Fall 97 is really the perfection of this funk sound, but the rawness of summer 1997 that leads up to the Great Lent um, is just some of my favorite fish ever. It sounds like a band that's totally experimenting out on a ledge uh, at all times. And um, if you haven't heard some of these shows that dot the tours early couple weeks, we definitely hope that this uh, Ghost from Atlanta really encourages you to do that. One of my memories from the Great Lent was speaking with these two hippies about how I had been in Darien Lake. Given that it was 1997 and the shows were only a few days apart, I had not heard the Darien Lake tapes yet. So the guy was saying, yeah, it was a fantastic second set. They played Colonel Forbes' descent, and he paused and says, and then things got crazy. Like, <laughs> yelled in my face. And now, of course, that's when they brought out the Merry Pranksters and they were supposed to go in the Mockingbird, but the funk was too deep. <laughs> I'll never forget the first time I heard that. No. And anyway, so yeah, let's listen to some of that ghost from uh, July 23rd, 1997. If we play the part that I think we are going to play, I would be sitting down or you're going to injure yourself.
Hey guys, friendly reminder, go to passionhousecoffee.com backslash Osiris. That's passionhousecoffee.com backslash O-S-I-R-I-S to read about the mystery coffee and submit your idea for the coffee name. While you're there, go ahead and pick up some freshly roasted beans so you too can have a cup of coffee and catch your breath just like feed. They ship everywhere, and our listeners get 30% off their coffee. Just remember, enter Osiris at checkout. And thanks, Passion House. guys so segment one in reviewing this ghost from atlanta georgia on july 23rd 1997 is going to examine in all caps rage funk because this jam in and of itself is a raging funk jam so we both got an art uh, a band here that we're going to talk about um that has some jams that are super ragey and and super funky that you guys should be listening to uh, the first i'm going to talk about a band called the funkies and their song akpankoro off of dancing time the best of eastern nigeria's afro rock exponents from 1973 to 1977 keen listeners will remember that uh in our in episode 14, when we discussed the uh, Dick's 46 Days from 2017, we talked heavily about the Wah, and I featured a band off of another uh, Nigerian 70s funk rock collection. I really love funk, Afro funk rock that was coming out of uh, Nigeria in the mid 70s. It's I love the way that these uh, songs are recorded. Um, the songs and the vibe of these just... They sound like uh, the islands, but they sound like war and they sound like anger and aggression, but they clearly are influenced by rock music that was coming out of um, uh, the U.S. in the 50s and 60s. I mean, there's just so much to take in and I just love this sound and this collection really summarizes a lot of that for me. So the Funkies were an Afro rock group that were formed in Nigeria in the late 60s. Uh, They moved to London in 1973, and they gained prominence in the West African and West Indian music scene before they broke up about four years later. Uh, This band specialized in a brand of funky, upbeat, highly danceable Afro rock that often featured lyrics sung in Igbo as well as English. They were originally an army band, uh, and after the Nigerian Civil War, they contributed to the outpouring of upbeat music produced by young people in Nigeria in response to the darkness of the recently concluded Civil War conflict. Um, 2012, this record uh, was compiled by Soundaway Records. They reissued a compilation of their recordings from the mid-70s, which led to a resurgence of interest in the band. Much like the best parts of the Ghost Jam that we just played, this song moves with a propulsive driving speed. Uh, It's all immediate organ and guitar, and then this funky back rhythm. It's really outstanding stuff. Um, If you like this Ghost, this is definitely an album and a collection and a song and a band that you're just going to want to check out. So without further ado, let's listen to the Funkies. Pancoro off of Dancing Time. Oh, my God. 
about the artist Shuggy Otis. The song is Ice Cold Daydream off of his Freedom Flight album from 1971. Now, Fish fans may already be a little familiar with Shuggy Otis because he was the one who wrote and performed the song Strawberry Letter Number 23, which of course reared its lovely head on Strawberry Night at Baker's Dozen, which I think was night two. Is that right, Brian? Uh, yes, Night 2. It uh, came out of that big Down with Disease in set 2. That's right. Okay. And then it also surfaced a year later as the show opener of uh, Friday night at the Three Night Hampton Coliseum run this past fall. So Ice Cold Daydream is the... Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say Strawberry 23 is actually... The second song on the Freedom Flight album, but I'm actually going to focus on the first song being the groovy rage funk of Ice Cold Daydream. I mean, this song, it's a high-speed cop chase. It's, like, incredibly funky with the clavinet and the wah. It just jumps right out at you. And what's kind of incredible is that he released this album when he was 17 years old. He had good genes, being that he was the son of the rock and roll and R&B impresario Johnny Otis, and he was, Shuggy was a bit of a prodigy on guitar. I know he was playing in some of his dad's various bands at the tender age of 11, often in disguise to get into clubs. And his debut album, I think called uh, Here Comes Shuggy Otis, came out at age when he was only 15 years old. And in 1969, he played bass on the studio version of Frank Zappa's Peaches on Regalia. Hmm. Seriously. So the Freedom Flight album comes out in 1971, and it dabbles in boudoir, R&B, funk, and psychedelia. I mean, to me, it seems like it was very clear that he was listening to lots of Hendrix at the time. And there's times when his uh, masterful guitar playing nearly compares to Hendrix. And the album peaks with the closing 12-minute instrumental title track, which to these ears kind of sounds like a more expansive version of the uh, Joe Zawinul composition, um, in a silent way, which is, of course, featured on side B of the 1968 Miles Davis mega classic, In a Silent Way. I think I actually first heard about Shogi Otis uh, at the tail end of my senior year of college in 2001 when uh, his 1974 album, Inspiration Information, was reissued by David Burns' Luaka Bop label. 
Uh, Shuggy Otis, he did session work throughout the 70s and some of the 80s, but he actually did not release any of the studio albums at all. And I think that the three that he did put out in the early 70s fell out of print, and they ended up kind of being uh, like prized possessions by crate diggers and DJs who at the time people were like obsessed with things like DJ Shadow and whatnot. And the reissue of Inspiration Information actually featured four songs from Freedom Flight, in addition to the rest of uh, the excellent album, which actually was known for featuring some of the earliest drum machines. And the opening totally kick-ass title track was covered by Sharon Jones and the Dab Kings a few years ago. And just uh, soup to nuts, he actually did break his silence after all these years. He put out a live record in 2014 and released a studio album in 2018 called Interfusion, which, uh, you know, still showcases excellence on guitar, suffers a bit from being uh, kind of metal blues wankery, evidenced by the fact that he's got Carmine Apici from Vanilla Fudge on drums, which doesn't make much sense to me. If you're going to listen to one Shug Yotis album, I think Freedom Flight is the one to hear. And now let's listen to uh, the ferocious opening track, Ice Cold Daydream. <laughs> disclosure we are recording this episode at the end of april for an early june release so some of these records will be just a little bit a couple weeks old at this point in time but still all the all the more worth your time uh so the band i'm going to talk about is the rose city band and they have a self-titled release that came out here in mid-may easiest way to describe this this is cosmic americana to my veins I love everything about this record and this falls in line with basically everything that Dave and I have been talking about for the last six months. Uh, This is the driving road trip, deep American thoughts, guitar meditations, front porch swings record that you all have been waiting for. Get this into your eardrums, get this into the vibe of your night. This is just going to make everything perfect for you. 
Uh, like I said, it's directly in line with everything that we've been pushing here since the start of the of the year, and we all know that you will want to buy this. Uh, it will be is has been released here in May, uh, May twenty fourth to be specific. Check it out on Bandcamp. Uh, this band, Rose City Band, is compared to the War on Drugs, Real Estate, Garcia Peoples, and the Grateful Dead. I mean, it's literally a Beyond the Pond soundtrack. Uh, Ripley Johnson of Wooden Ships and Moon Duo, Wooden Ships uh, V was Dave's favorite record from 2018, uh, has produced this record. And as described by Ripley, the band was aiming to create a timeless, natural sound, not quite of the present past or future but phasing in between the consciousness of now and the stone dreamed state of the eternal sort of a back porch jam just as the shrooms are starting to kick in handmade and human but also cosmic and transcendental the goal is to let the music speak for itself and hopefully find a weird and wonderful audience somewhere out there we are that weird and wonderful uh, audience somewhere out there of Rose City Band, and we think that you all will too. Definitely, definitely check this out. It's a phenomenal record. Yeah, this is one of those albums that is it possible for an album to be almost like too much into your shit? <laughs> Have you been stealing my records? <laughs> yeah, this is like... Um, You'd say it's like produced by Ripley Johnson. I mean, he also he sings on. It. I think it's, I think it's basically him. Maybe him and dudes for all intents and purposes, uh, because it's, it's essentially to me it sounds like acoustic wooden ships plus like jams on the Grateful Dead's the other one, uh-huh. and like shoegaze filtered through the back porch. So it's basically it hits every one of my happy zones in 40 minutes so you know yeah i've i've thrown this record on a bunch and it just like pulls me in completely as an album and uh like you said it kind of fuses everything that we've talked about at some point uh in time here at beyond the pond and we just love it so it's much. almost too easy it's almost yeah <laughs> Almost like someone listened to this podcast and took notes and threw it into a blender and said, okay, these guys will like this album. And we do. It's it's the equivalent of a four-game sweep in the finals uh, in the NBA or the Stanley Cup where just one team is just too damn good and it's too damn easy for them to do this. So the new album that I'm going to talk about, which I think at the time of recording has been out for about three weeks. So when this hits in June, it'll been out a little bit longer than that this band is called x hex and the album is it's real you know x hex is fronted by mary timoney of course uh from the 90s band helium also more recently from the uh the carrie brownstein janet was supergroup wild flag and on this album she indulges a love for late 70s early 80s glam rock some might almost say like album oriented radio rock I mean, you know, she can you, she can really completely shred. And this is her take on, like, kind of like a denim jacket rock and roll of guys like Billy Squire and Foreigner. You will hear this. You two will have double vision. You will feel like a jukebox hero. You'll want to do the stroke. It's a really fun album. It's got power chords. It's got high-flying pull-off guitar solos and all the lyrics, mostly about dudes. I kind of want to hit the billiards hall after I listen to this album. 
So, yeah, it's Mary Timoney. She's great. She rocks. She's a hell of a guitarist. And it's really fun to hear her uh, indulge in some early 80s radio rock. All right. So for segment two, we were thinking about how we were going to approach this. And we were thinking about this idea that, you know, Fish in 1994, 95, 96 was, they could really do no wrong by their fan base. And, you know, at this point in time, the band had been around for uh, just about 13, 14 years. And they were thinking, all right, how do we change this up so that this high that we're on musically can continue and doesn't get boring? And they reinvented themselves in Europe of 1997, and they came back to America in the um, uh, mid-summer 1997, and they opened up their summer tour with this song, Ghost, which two nights later would be the version that we discuss here. And my thought, if I was any fan, if I was any, if I was on the road with Fish in summer 1997, the first time I heard Ghost would just be, holy shit, my favorite band's new song kicks ass and it would go on to kick ass throughout the entire summer tour the fall and really when you hear ghost i don't know any fan that doesn't think about 1997 the moment that that song starts um, so we wanted to feature two of our favorite bands aside from fish and a moment when they released this new song that completely kicked ass and in some cases transformed the next step in the band's career so up first is you know, in it's similarly to my uh, new album recommendation, if there is a Beyond the Pond record, it is this record. Uh, I'm talking about the opening track off of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot from Wilco. The song is titled, I Am Trying to Break Your Heart. So this is the opening track to my favorite album of all time. Uh, Jim O'Rourke and Glenn Kochi just pull a total masterpiece of a song from Jeff Tweedy's brain. And sonically, this song just shifts the entire concept of the band Wilco and really the idea of alt-country on its head. Lyrically, this song is like a mid-30s life crisis. It literally didn't make any sense to me until I turned like 32, and I've loved it for the last 20 years all the same, but it completely reinvented itself to, uh, to me in my own head like two or three years ago. Um, I will never forget the first time that I heard this song. A buddy of mine played it for me late at night in his backyard. This was the summer before my senior year in high school. We both snuck out of our houses and were at a buddy's house, uh, drinking Rolling Rock, smoking Camel Lights, and shitty weed in his backyard. Uh, my buddy pulls out a CDR of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, and this song comes on, and my brain just about exploded. Um, I'd been introduced to Wilco about seven months earlier by my very cool older cousin, who burned me a copy of Summer Teeth, and I was in love with it at that point in time. Uh, and in passing that to me, he'd informed me that the secret album that was coming out was supposed to come out in the fall, but may never come out now. Um, the legend of it was like everything that I needed to get into Wilco at this point in time. However, in 2001, I was kind of only an internet expert at blanksandposteds.com as well as Fantasy Tour. So I'd completely forgotten about the record until my friend threw it on in June 2002. And uh, this song just totally changed the way that I thought about Wilco at that point in time got me even deeper down the rabbit hole um, I'm not really sure where I'd rank this song in my overall life but it would probably be in my top 5 or 10 
It's got everything I want in music. It half makes sense. It should just kind of fall apart at the seams as it's playing out to you. It has sounds that you hear anew every single time you hear it. It's incredible songwriting that I'm always surprised by. And I remember the first time I heard it was the same type of reaction I feel like I would have had had I been there at Virginia Beach um, on July 21st, 2000, or excuse me, 1997. Um, so we're going to listen to one of my favorite songs of all time here. My favorite, my favorite band's new song, Kicks Ass. You have I Am Trying to Break Your Heart. From Listeners know Slater Kinney. I'm going to talk about the song Entertain off of their album The Woods. 
So this is a song from Slater Kinney's 2005 album, The Woods, which is my favorite Slater Kinney record. And as careful beyond the pond listeners might have noted, it's essentially my favorite album of the past 15 years. It is the sixth song on the album. The Woods is Slater Kinney's seventh album, much like Story of the Ghost was Fish's seventh album. So seven albums into your career, you really don't think that you're able to pull out like your signature song anymore, kind of like your war horse. But kind of that's what Slater Kinney ended up doing with this song. I think The Woods came out, I want to say, in June of 2005. But I first heard Entertain on the tail end of the tour supporting their previous album, which is One Beat, in February of 2003. So they actually been toying with the song for a while before actually recording it. And when I first heard the song, the first time I heard it was live, I just said, wow, I don't know exactly what the song is, but it rocks like a beast. It's got an incredible chorus. And if this is like the future of Slater Kinney, it's in good hands. And the point of the tune is basically Slater Kinney calling out other crappy bands for the crime of not kicking as much ass as Slater Kinney does. <laughs> Keep in mind, this was in 2005 when Kerry uh, Brownstein, the guitarist, referred to bands as fake gang of fours that ruled the blogosphere. There was a lot of really, really shitty post-punk bands in 2004, 2005, and this is kind of uh, Slater Kinney trying to call them out. And what's interesting is that the version of Entertain as On the Woods actually has a different chorus in the 2003 version. Careful listeners will note that the melody of uh, the 2003 chorus is actually used on the chorus of another Woods song called Jumpers. We think this was the doing of uh, super producer Dave Fridman. So we know that Slater Kinney broke up in 2006. And then when they got back together in 2015, Entertain was their new signature song. This is the song they closed sets with. This is a song they kind of improvised a bit on stage with. And when the drums of Janet Weiss come in for the last chorus, you are treated to a sea of undulating bodies and fists flying aloft. It's an absolute crusher of a song. And amazingly, what's arguably their best tune is buried as like song six on the seventh album. So... I think right now Slater Kinney is in the studio with like St. Vincent is going to produce their next album. And that's by far my most anticipated album of the year, assuming that comes out in 2019. Like I think it's going to, but for now let's listen to entertain by Slater Kinney off of the woods.
much for hanging with us here. Uh, to recap the songs that we discussed here, in conjunction with the ghost from Atlanta, Georgia, on July 23rd, 1997. In segment one, we talked about Rage Funk. I talked about the Funkies, Akpankoro off of Dancing Time, the best of Eastern Nigeria's Afro rock exponents of 1973 to 77. Dave talked about Shuggy Otis's Ice Cold Daydream off of Freedom Flight from 1971. In segment two, my favorite band's new song, Kicks Ass. I discussed one of my favorite songs of all time, Wilco's I Am Trying to Break Your Heart off of the Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. And Dave took on Slater Kinney's Entertain off of The Woods. Just a reminder, we are easy to find on social media. You can find us on Twitter at at underscore beyond the pond. It's one word. Our Simplecast page, beyondthepond.simplecast.fm. As you know, on Spotify, we have the Beyond the Pond podcast song master playlist, in which we try to add the songs that you have heard here into a big Spotify playlist. It has well over 300 songs at this point, getting kind of unwieldy. Check out the other fantastic podcasts that make up the Osiris Podcast Network, which we are a proud member of, at OsirisPod.com. That's O-S-I-R-I-S Pod.com. And leave us an iTunes review. We love to read them, get a kick out of it, and it helps increase our visibility in Apple land, which is always a good thing. Absolutely. So from a publishing standpoint, you guys heard a ton from us in April. Kind of a standard May. We are about to get heated here again. Um, as time of release, Dave is a proud father of two. Um, yeah. Wow. That's right. <laughs> uh from what i remember from early father early fatherhood and i'm sure you're gonna experience as well you're gonna start picking up the pieces around five or six weeks which is when this episode will come out um from here we're gonna go a little bit crazy for the next couple of weeks in terms of fish tour uh so keep an eye out for that but before fish tour starts we have one more very special episode coming out so keep an eye out for that next tuesday uh, this is going to be part one of a three-part series that we're going to be celebrating a very special event in 2019. Uh, so stay tuned for that. But uh, we really appreciate all you guys' support. As you know, that our normal publishing structure is every other Tuesday, but we've kind of uh, played around with that here in early 2019. Yes, we've definitely uh, gone a bit wacky with the episodes in early 2019, but I don't see anyone complaining. So... All good, no. all good. <laughs> so, come back in two weeks, and you can uh, experience me being extremely tired, because like Brian said, at this point, when this comes out, I will have uh, two daughters, not just one daughter. So, things are going to be getting interesting from here on out. <laughs> we will hold hands, we will experience fish, and experience plenty of non-fish, and we will go beyond the pond. I am trying to break your heart.
Osiris.